Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, 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 and you are listening to the latest installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, We have a really great show. I'm so excited um, uh, for today's show. We have the, um, what I'm calling, I'm dubbing him this, whether he's been called this before or not, the Prince of Fun, acclaimed actor Harvey Guillaume is going to be in the house. Uh, Harvey is, it's funny, if you look Harvey up, you will hear him described as best known for, best known for, best known for, and every best known for is different because he is a man, a young man on the move. Um, Everything he does kind of gets one-upped by the next thing. Um, So he's known for, at this point, quite a few really great things, and uh, the latest of which is something that is launching this month on Disney+. Plus. It is the latest in, of the Mickey Mouse Fun House. Um, it is targeted towards the preschool set. Um, in this, this new series, um, it is centering around a brand new character, um, and the character's name is Funny, and Funny is actually the Enchanted Playhouse himself. And Harvey Guillaume is funny. I mean, he is funny, but he's also funny, the playhouse. Um, So this is a great animated role for Harvey. Um, We're excited to hear what he does with it. Harvey is is in the most recent iteration of his career, uh, best known as Guillermo de la Cruz, um, in the Emmy-nominated series What We Do in the Shadows, uh, which is a um, kind of a mockumentary, almost comedic show um, about vampires. And um, he has been well-recognized in that show, winning a Critics' Choice um, Award nomination as Best Supporting Actor. He is also a GLAAD Media Award winner. Um, and he has been seen on in movies, and um, other shows, and we want to get into all of that with him in just a few minutes. Um, Meanwhile, I have on deck my um, trusted uh, sidekick and the editor of the L.A. Blade, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome. Hey, Rob, and good afternoon, good morning, or good day, depending upon where on the globe you are listening uh, to the podcast and the broadcast. Um, I wanted to start this week off, though, uh, with a little bit of an announcement and kind of a kudos and a congratulations to a young person uh, that I'm incredibly fond of, I care a great deal about. He is a singer, songwriter, and musician. Uh, he is from Rotherham in South Yorkshire in the United Kingdom, uh, which is a city pretty much close to Doncaster in the U.K. His name is Alfie Sheard. Uh, and he just recently performed at the Royal Albert Hall. He opened for musician James Blunt. He also opened James' uh, show in Bournemouth in the U.K. the night before. 
And tonight at midnight, Greenwich time in the United Kingdom, uh, his single comes out. Uh, Wish You Miss Me More is the name of the single, uh, of the single and it'll be available on all platforms. Uh, and so I'd like you guys to, you know, go and kind of like swarm his social media. He's got Instagram, TikTok. He's got Facebook. He's got YouTube where you can see uh, a tremendous amount of videos. Uh, he came to fame as a direct result uh, of an appearance on the Ellen DeGeneres show about four years ago. And he had been busking uh, actually at a huge shopping center uh, in Doncaster that's uh, known as French Gate. And uh, the video that he put up on uh, YouTube of his busking, uh, he was covering a Tracy uh, Chapman song, went viral. And the producers and the crew over at Ellen's side, uh, the thing had taken off by the time they saw it. It had gotten, I kid you not, almost 3 million views. Uh, so they showed it uh, to Ellen, and she was incredibly impressed. And, yeah, uh, like Grayson Chance, who was on our show at the beginning of June during Pride Month, uh, she had him on, and his life uh, was changed forever at that point. I've uh, known Alfie uh, personally now for about a year. Um, I think the world of him. Uh, he's an incredible musician. And uh, Wish You Miss Me More is his first single out the gate, and you guys are absolutely going to love it. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to have uh, pre-heard it, as it were, and uh, I can hardly wait. If you go to Alfie's Instagram right now, uh, you can get a little snippet. Uh, he debuted the song uh, at the Royal Albert uh, a couple weeks ago, and, uh, yeah, so there's that pitch uh, on Alfie, Rob. And I've heard the song, and it's really good. And, yeah, it's – it is funny how he parallels Grayson, who we, like, to your point, we had on the show, and uh, we debuted Grayson's new song uh, here, which was phenomenal. So really best of luck to him on, on his other um, – or, or on his, his song and, and its, its launch. Um, anything else going on in the news today? Uh, yeah. Sadly, unfortunately, the governor of the state of New York uh, has embroiled himself in uh, a sexual harassment uh, situation. There are now 11 women, nine of whom are state employees uh, that have come forward, and uh, there are calls for uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign, although he insists he's not going to. The calls for his resignation uh, also come from the governors of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Connecticut. Uh, so basically, it's a full court press. Yesterday during uh, a press conference in the East Room of the White House. Uh, President Biden was asked uh, if he thought that Governor Cuomo should resign, and the president, in a one-word answer, yes. Um, the thing that also uh, kind of broke the news yesterday, uh, Chris Johnson, who is the White House reporter for the Washington Blade, uh, did a piece, which I also have at Los Angeles Blade, uh, where he details that the scandal involving New York Governor Cuomo has now ensnared uh, the head of the human rights campaign, Alphonse David, uh, who, if you'll remember, Rob was a guest on our show a few months ago. Um, at, in his capacity as legal counsel to the governor, uh, there was some back and forth over one of the victims. And even though Alphonse is uh, 
denied any wrongdoing uh, or culpability in the matter, uh, it, it's still turning into, you know, a bit of a mess. What, 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 and uh, when you say ensnared, what exactly happened that he's alleged to well, have been involved he, with? He allegedly uh, was dealing with files and correspondence on one of the victims, uh, and the way that that particular situation was handled, uh, as although while not illegal per se, uh, he released the files instead of to an executive assistant to a communications manager type, and that raised eyebrows because normally you okay. would only do that if you were going to run an offense instead of, or a defense, and that's kind of what it'll look like. Got it. Well, we wish him the best. He was a great guest, and uh, we appreciate everything he does otherwise. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that, that um, you know, everything turns out to have been above board um, in that area. Well, one would hope so. Uh, and then I literally about 20 minutes ago got off the phone with uh, Landon Ritchie, who is a trans activist in the state of Texas. He's been a guest on our show. I featured him on the cover of the Los Angeles Blade. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has again called the Texas uh, legislature into a special session starting this weekend on Saturday, covering elections, federal COVID funding, quorum rules, and the anti-transgender youth sports bill again. Now, this is a little problematic because, if you'll remember, the entire Democratic caucus of the Texas House literally walked out. Most of them got on right. airplanes, and they're all in Washington, D.C. right now. So it's, it's a real question as to whether or not there will be enough for a quorum uh, to even bring the legislature uh, together. But Abbott is insisting that he's going to continue to call these special sessions uh, until these 17 pieces of legislation all of them, quite frankly, are pretty hateful. Um, you know, they're directed at, at restricting voting rights, which would negatively impact, you know, um, black and Latino Texans, uh, the transgender bill, uh, election stuff. I mean, it's just, it's a Republican wish list, um, and it just really is, quite frankly, an ugly one. So we don't know whether or not the Texas governor is going to be able to, you know, pull it together. Uh, unless the Democrats are there, or they somehow, you know, force a quorum rule change. And, of course, if that occurs, that will create even more angst and outrage. Uh, when I was talking to Landon, though, uh, the LGBTQ activist community uh, are go- is going to be uh, gearing up, and uh, they will be, um, you know, going ahead, and they're going to fight. So regardless of whether or not um, – uh, you know, <laughs> the governor is going to keep trying to call that. You know, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, chaos from Texas. All righty. Okay. Well, let's move on. Um, uh, I did not check with him on the board, so I'm I'm going in a little bit blind here. But um, I do want to welcome uh, Harvey to the show. Harvey, welcome. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, uh, my pleasure. So I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, first of all, kudos on your name because the only other two Harveys I know of are Harvey Milk and Harvey Weinstein or uh, Weinstein, 
who are like um, LGBTQ icons. So I figure you are the third Harvey, you know, to go on the mantle there. Right. It's either good or bad Harvey. That got to be part of the, the good heart. So <laughs> I, I guess there is uh, um, uh, what was uh, Oswald. So, um, but we'll have to forget about <laughs> yeah. him. That's another. Look. Now, see, I was Harvey. thinking about Harvey, the extraordinarily large rabbit that would appear oh, when right. Jimmy Stewart was. I mean, I was thinking, you know, Jimmy Stewart yeah. and Harvey, and I, you know, Jimmy I'm, not impl- I'm not implying that you look like a bunny rabbit, please. I mean, you know, I just but just. Well, I get that a lot, and other people know that because of Jimmy Stewart playing, you know, Elwood P. Dowd, which is the character he played in Harvey. Uh, yeah. I wanted to play Harvey. So it was a kind of full circle, I guess, by the time I was already a senior in high school. I, I played Elwood to a giant rabbit Harvey, and that being my name, I kind of, uh, I kind of tapped at that. <laughs> that is too funny. That is so wild. Now, okay, so I, I want to go with your latest, because this is really super cool. You are, you are now in, ensconced in the world of Disney. Um, your role is funny. Um, mm-hmm. which is I keep finding like I'm falling into a who's on first thing. It's like because your role's funny, but you're also probably funny in the role of funny. Um, Isn't that funny? <laughs> it is so funny. It is so funny. So, so Harvey, tell us, about, tell us about the new gig. Tell us about the Disney show. Yeah, so funny is uh, the new member or friend in the already iconic group of Disney friends uh, with Mickey and Minnie and Pluto and Daisy and Donald and Goofy. Uh, he's a new added addition to the group, and basically funny is a fun house, uh, a house that welcomes the, new, the friends over on adventures and basically teaching the idea that um, the only thing that, you know, can stop you from creating or going anywhere you want is your imagination. The imagination is limitless. And so with the friend like Funny, to encourage that imagination, they can go on adventures anywhere and everywhere and at any time. So um, it's a great new addition. I'm so honored to, to be a part of this uh, iconic group and to be part of the Disney family. It, it, it sounds so cool. Um, and I imagine they're going to have like a little plastic version of you in Disneyland. Oh, I'm looking at one and, right now. Uh, it just got delivered. It's just a space <laughs> house. It's available in stores now, wherever you can get any toys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that must be a trip. I mean, obviously, it looks like the 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 uh, drawn depiction, but uh, to look at that and go, oh my God, I'm going to be in in toy chests around around the country. Yeah, it is a little surreal, but that was always my dream growing up. I always wanted to be part of the Disney family and be a Disney character. Um, I didn't know it was going to be a house, you know, and the the great thing about this house is that he turns into so many things. He turns into a submarine, into a castle, into a a Western saloon where I can change Funny's voice and become different characters. Think like the genie in Aladdin where you do so many multiple characters, but it's the same uh, person. And so it is really fun to one day – be doing, you know, a Twain uh, accent, like a la Dolly Parton, and then doing a pirate, you know, uh, accent for the pirate ship uh, adventure. So it is really fun to get to play with so many different voices. And But to be a toy, that, oh, my goodness, just that's just uh, <laughs> the chair on top. Uh, it's just uh, looking at one right now that there's backpacks and there's toys and all this idea that 
Uh, my niece, who is seven, can walk into a store and, and see a toy, and that's me. I play that character. Is uh, That, for me, is what fills my heart and, and brings me joy. That That is so awesome. And, I mean, your talent is, is pretty vast. I mean, you are a chameleon. I mean, you, you jump into all these kind of roles. So I think that, that makes sense. Even your first commercial, you you were like four different things in the commercial, right? Yeah, I I do pride myself, and, you know, Hollywood has a tendency of putting actors in boxes, and once you're known for something, that's all you're known for, and I really do pride myself in being a trained actor and uh, a real lesbian, if you will, and just the idea that uh, I, I, I hate the idea of being put into a box because of, um, you know, uh, circumstances of the way you look, of your height, of your size, of uh, your gender, of all of that for so long Hollywood has used against uh, performers when those are the things that make you the strongest is how individual we are and how unique we are. Uh, but I really do pride myself in showing off that I can play different things as opposed to, you know, it could be easy and just rely on the same go-to character and sit and sit back and play that, you know, till I'm blue in the face. But I do like challenging myself and challenging the idea of how uh, I'm seen and how actors are seen. Yeah. It's, I, I see you. Uh, and I mean, I'm not trying to, put you in a box or anything but i see you very much like um, melissa mccarthy where you come out you're yourself you're you're powerful you're you know grounded in your talent and it's like nothing seems to stop you 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 just seem to to jump into one thing after the next you know taking on different characters and sort of no holds barred i mean who who are your idols who do you look up to well, I mean, you nailed it on the head. You, you know, that's pretty much it. I, I keep, keeping all the characters grounded is kind of the, the foundation of, of telling a story that's believable, right? Even when you think about animation, like the, the moral of the stories, you know, characters go on, uh, or the adventures they go on, and the morals that they, they uh, get out of it is kind of, uh, it's always grounded in real human emotions. You know, sometimes you're feeling sad, sometimes you're, you're depressed or sometimes you're feeling really excited, but you need to calm down. You need to wiggle, you know, your energy out or focus your energy. Um, when it comes to acting, I feel like a lot of people who have really made an impact in my life are uh, old black and white uh, uh, physical comedy actors that I used to watch with my dad. And uh, we used to watch Spanish television. Uh, we used to watch Cantinflas, which was um, a comedic genius from the 1950s. And um, all the way to like watching El Chavo del Ocho, which was another uh, physical um, comedy actor who was more of a farce. The story, the the show was more of a farce, which I really fell in love with. So think like Tartuffe or Moliere uh, in Spanish. <laughs> and that's kind of the world that, that I lived in growing up. So that's kind of what my idols were. And of course, is always the go-to, you know, because of what you see that's mainstream, like Meryl Streep, because you do see this amazing artist and performer uh, time after time on, on film. And yes, they're incredible and they transform themselves and they're a chameleon themselves. So yeah, I take a little bit from, from all over the place to be inspired. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. So where um, I know you got the, the bug very early on uh, to perform and be an actor. Um, Can you tell us the story of what, how that opened up for you as a child? Yeah, I mean, I fell in love when I started watching a TV show. Well, I thought it was a TV show. Um, with, uh, it was Christmas break, and I was six years old. And we, my mom and I, she was a single mom at the time. 
working three jobs, uh, pretty low income, living in a one-bedroom apartment in Santa Ana. And I remember watching this new TV show over Christmas break called Annie. Never seen it before, but all these kids were singing and dancing. And I looked over at my mom and I said, Mom, that's what I want to be. I want to be an orphan. And she looked at me weird. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Which and is apparent, I can tell you, I can understand her look. <laughs> if my kids yeah. told me, I want to be an orphan, it's like, uh-huh, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, exactly. So my mom had the same reaction, and she said, no, oh, no, son actores, they're actors. And I was like, what? Because I never saw myself represented on television, because even at that age, you know, you know your circumstances that, you know, we weren't well off, we weren't wealthy, but you were happy, and that's what mattered, but at the end of the day, I, I saw myself uh, possibly being in that group. I thought, oh, well, those kids are clean and dancing and singing, and they're, like, you know, they're just having a great time, and we do that on the weekends. You, you know, I remember weekends were meant to clean at my house, and my mom would put stereo on, and we just clean, you know, the apartment, you know, had to tell to clean everything, and so I thought, this I could do that. I could sing and dance, but I could be on television and do it, and she said, no, they're actors, but it's for rich kids. And I said, what do you mean it's for rich kids? And she said, well, they have to have training and there's no money. We don't have any money for that. We have, we barely have enough money for rent and for, you know, uh, groceries and whatnot. And I remember that moment was so uh, critical in in my thinking Mm -hmm. as as a kid because it could have easily gone, I didn't get what I wanted and I I could have cried and just said, it's not fair, right? But at that moment, I remember my mom looking at me and saying, I didn't say that it's not possible. I said, well, if I get the money, can I take acting classes? And she said, Nico, if you find your own way, you can do whatever you want. And when she said that, she never said no. She just said, I don't have the means to help you get that. But if you find your own way, no one can stop you. And sure enough, you know, they were doing a, a class at the local community center for improv for like $12.50. And I asked her for the money. And, of course, she didn't have it. And my friend asked her parents, and they gave her a $20 bill, and they asked her to keep the change. And so I thought this could have been another moment of, like, it's not fair. Like, my friend gets to ask for an allowance, and I don't get an allowance. So then I was walking home from school with my mom, and this guy was going through trash cans. And I said, what is he doing? He's like, that's so gross. It's sticky. And and he's like, oh, vende los botes. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah, vende los botes, which means he sells the cans. You make money off recyclables. And so I ran into her closet, got a wire hanger, unhooked into a long finger, got a plastic bag, and went through trash cans and collected, collected trash to pay for my first improv class. Oh my God, that is amazing. That yeah. that is astounding. Good for you. Oh my God, that's so, that's always funny inspiring. when people say I yeah. love watching someone. You know, it's an overnight success idea, but it's like it's not an overnight success. It's you didn't see the blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the final product. Yeah. No, you. I mean, that's. I am totally amazed at the the list of everything you've done, and I, I made the comment at the beginning of the show because. You know, I looked at different things, and every time you get introduced, it's like, ah, well, uh, here's Harvey Guillon. He is best known as, and everything the best known as changes because it's like it's like you're on this ladder, and every rung, you know, you you get better known, better known, better known. Um, I did want to touch on a few things from your past, though, just um, you know, because they're well, first they're, they're great and. Um, uh, they're kind of relevant to the obviously LGBT radio theme here. But uh, you are the recipient of a GLAAD Media Award for uh, Raising Hope, I believe. What Tell us about that. Yeah, that was, the, you know, as you know, the GLAAD Awards are like the, the gay Oscars. <laughs> you know, exactly. uh, they, they reward um, and award, you know, talent and the LGBTQI plus 
community, um, and it was, uh, it was, I was just, I was so surprised. You know, we, we got nominated for the character um, that we played on Raising Hope, which was their first um, same-sex couple. They were adopting a child. And it's still a comedy, but still with heart and whatnot. And, and then we won, which was, you know, it was so, going back to what you said earlier about, like, one of my first commercials was in Spanish for Metro PCS, and I played multiple characters. And that, to my mom, is like I won the Oscar. Like, when I show her, you know, when, when I was on TV, she would be so, because she understands it, speaks her language, she, she can point it and say, that's my son, it's Nico. You know, and then I won the Glad Award, which is a huge deal. And I came home and I was like, oh, I won the Glad Award. She goes, oh, <laughs> que bueno. And like, so very like, that's nice. And I was like, no, mom, I won a Glad Award. <laughs> and she's like, oh. And, she, and her, her following question was, is so no Metro PCS or <laughs> like any more Metro PCS commercials? Like, no, mom, that campaign's done. I'm not doing the commercials anymore. And she goes, oh, okay. And like, that was so <laughs> that I won a Glad Award, but I had not continue my success with Metro PCS in Spanish. <laughs> you know, what's funny, what's funny about this story is, you know, I used to, one of, one of the comedians that I watched, I'm sure you have too, Harvey, of course, is Fluffy. And, you know, Gabriel Iglesias is probably one of the funniest comedians on the circuit. And mm-hmm. he's, he's Latino. He tells these stories about his mom, okay, when he was first starting out as a, as a comedian and as a comic. And listening to you just now, I just I, I had to unmute and make this comment because I started laughing because it reminded me of you know Gabriel's stories about his mom and you know how they they've got this rating system to them on you know what your status is according to what you've done and the Metro PCS one just cracked me up. Yeah, to my mom that was the pinnacle of success and. Nothing will ever top that. Even I come home with an Oscar tomorrow, and she'd be like, Metro PCS? Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny. And, you know, and that is also the power of commercials. It's so funny how, um, you know, it, it's sometimes they touch where some of the more um, uh, highfalutin stuff is, you know, only for select audiences. I, I want yeah, to ask you about something that – you're always somebody's favorite in something, you know. Every demographic is different. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was, we were, I went on vacation with my family, and uh, people who recognize you from certain things, you could tell what their demo is. Like if somebody comes up and says, "You look familiar. You look like this. Uh, you're probably not this person." And I always ask them, "Oh, really? From where?" And they say, "It's from a show. It's this guy. He's an actor." I was like, "Oh, really? What what show?" He's like, "From Magicians." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's me. It is you. Okay, great. You, you look kind of like him, but you're not." I was like, "Well, I'm not wearing a robe, and I'm not taking place in a sci-fi fantasy world, but that, that is me." And so it's always funny to see the demographics that that would come up to you. And you're always surprised. I was in Hawaii one time, and this guy with his family walked by, and he was like, "Loved you in the internship." And I was like, "Really? That's what you recognize me from? <laughs> the internship?" And it just it goes to show that you're if you're in somebody's favorite project, you'll always be you know that oh I know that guy I know that guy from this thing oh I I know what it is that that show I love that commercial I love and so I I really pride myself in doing projects that kind of sprinkle around everything sci-fi you know um, grounded you know mockumentary style <laughs> uh, TV shows films like all, stuff that uh, that I like to do but it'll become someone's favorite because that's really where it, comes down to is making someone's day or making their favorite film or TV show memorable for, for them forever. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. And I also think 
one of the through lines through a lot of the characters you play are you always seem to play people who are accessible. You know, it's like where, you know, if you knew them in real life, you'd want to get to know them. You'd feel comfortable walking up and saying, hey, how are you doing? So, I mean, <laughs> good or bad, as you walk through the public and come across people who know you from these various iterations of yourself, it seems like they're, they're going to feel like they have that right to, you know, oh, my God, it's Harvey, you know, you know that type of thing because of what you've exuded through your characters. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's also true. I feel like people always feel uh, comfortable coming up to me. Um, sometimes they're even too comfortable, you know. I was with uh, my I, Yeah, I can see that, yeah. At, <laughs> at a theme park, and the, a lady came from behind me, and this is, you know, pretty recent, and we're still in the middle of, you know, the variant and COVID and everything, and, and kind of tapped me from behind and kind of like gave me, like, this hug from behind and. I have nothing against hugs, but it's also like maybe not right now when in the middle yeah. of you know <laughs> maybe not now. Hi, it would have been. Hi, Harvey, but, uh, I love you. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like I was like, and I love when fans, uh, you know, reach out or and show their support and whatnot. But uh, it's always funny because people feel this uh, instant rapport with you and feel, for lack of a better word, familiar with you, you know, and they feel so comfortable with you that sometimes they share information that I don't think they were meaning to share, but they felt so comfortable in sharing. Like, you know, it's like we really loved your performance. And it was perfect timing, too, because my sister was getting a divorce. Her husband was cheating on her. And I was like, oh, oh, well, there's a lot of information. But there's always somebody who that's what we do, right? We need that. We need to escape for a little bit. And that's why, again, I pride myself in doing shows that help kids with their imagination and, you know, the sky's the limit with making us fun with fun house and with, uh, you know, with what we do in the shadows where people just escape for a little bit. You know, sometimes the world is crazy enough as it is that we all need a little bit of a 23 minute to 46 minute escape a day. And that's all you need just to reboot and to make you think differently or make you think in a different, uh, you know, point of view, but, uh, but we all need it. We all need to escape. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and, and it, it is important what, what you do with your characters and that accessibility, even though I can see how for you personally, it, it could feel intrusive because I mean, you know, you want to do grocery shopping and you don't necessarily want to be, you know, on all the time, um, especially if people invade your space. But it is that, you know, especially as people are, are cloistered away, find characters that yeah. you feel like are your friends. And, you know, it's right. like that is you are bringing something important into their lives. Um, yeah. My friend Denise uh, has a way of saying that she knows that I, I can't say no to fans. Like, I, you know, fans will always come up and they'll talk to me and I'll just stay there talking because they have so much to say and I'll just stay as long. And so she works with, like, politicians and whatnot. So my friend Denise always, like, she says, you have, when I come by, I'm going to grab you and, like, escort you away. And I was like, oh, because she knows that I, I'll, I'll stay there all afternoon. You know, <laughs> if right. a fan right. you know, to me, I feel so bad cutting them off. But it's like, so she's become, like, the designated, you know, friend who, like, walks up to me and she sees that it's going too long. She's like, okay, he has to go right now because he has to catch a train or whatever it is, you know. But she, because I, I can't bring myself to doing uh, that kind of work. I just be like, I can't. I just can't. They were nice enough to, to say hello, but I can't stop them if they have something to say. <laughs> Especially they're confessing their family's whole secret history. Right. Yeah, they're venting. <laughs> they're taking all the skeletons out. 
Yeah, yeah. No, you have to be careful. You'll end up on Instagram or something. You know, it's like <laughs> this is what he was like in real life. Um, but I wanted to ask you about um, uh, kind of shifting gears away from your acting to the um, LGBTQ web series you produced called The Filth. Um, mm-hmm. That I did not see it, but I saw the trailers, and the trailers looked phenomenal. Um, what what uh, what was the deal behind that? That was a project that came to me through my writing partner Jamie Holt, who directed the whole series. Um, I'm a big supporter in having more female directors uh, in Hollywood, and so this was a starring vehicle for her to direct the series. And so I came on as a producer to make that happen any way I could. And uh, her being my writing partner, uh, I just love and admire her and and respect her work so much. So it was something that I was passionate about and was able to really uh, help bring on board, you know, uh, some, some artists who have face recognition. So when you watch the series, you'll have a pop-up. We have Beverly D'Angelo come on (laughs) the show we have, uh-huh. like, people pop in that you're like, oh, I know that person, and I know this person. Um, so it was just, like, uh, my job as a producer for that was kind of helping any way I can to make the product just even better than it already was. And uh, the cast is amazing, and it follows um, these two millennials in L.A. basically trying to maneuver through the waters of being an artist in Hollywood and both being queer um, and how uh, sometimes we categorize people who see themselves as bi or pansexual is like oh they're just you're confused or you're missing you know you're it's one or the other baby you know uh but it's not and we have to really even part of the queer community we have to respect people's you know nouns you have to respect how they see themselves and we can't dismiss when they themselves are telling us who they are uh because we do that sometimes you know in the past that's been easy an easy throwaway where people say he's bi no he's not he's just a stop away from gay town you know uh and right. it's just like that we need to respect each other, and sometimes we don't do that in our own community. So it was a nice, like, a, a little mirror, you know, uh, to be part of that and to show that and to learn as well, you know, because you're always learning something new. So it was great to produce that, and I recommend everyone uh, take a look at it. You can see it online as well. Yeah, no, it looks, um, like I said, I want to watch the whole thing. I didn't get to see the whole thing. The The trailer was just completely, completely engaging, and um, – and I love those themes. Um, they're, I think they're part of the involvement of what people might term the quote unquote LGBTQ community. Um, uh, because it's having been around it for a while, I've seen where it's gone from these kind of fixed roles and fixed identifications. And as younger people have come out and they come out, with more um, blurred edges, if you will, um, you know, and that's important because that's real. I mean, there's a lot more to us as individuals and, you know, the desire to throw us into one of two categories or even five categories is not really who we are as human beings. And so this consciousness is, is super important. And I love seeing that expressed in just even the little clip um, that I saw of that. So that, that's super excellent. How, um, as you look forward in your career, are you looking to do as much writing, producing, directing behind the scenes as you are in front of the camera? Or where is, where is, your, 
where's your true north pointing you at this point? Uh, I am. Um, you know, I think about it all the time. If, um, I love acting first and foremost. I love entertaining and, again, making people escape and creating and developing and bringing life to a character. Um, but I do want to do more behind the camera, whether it's writing or producing, especially when for so long being an actor in L.A., you wait for permission and you're waiting for someone to tell you that the right size, you're the right height, you're the right skin color, like, and I got tired of waiting for the opportunity to uh, express or create uh, characters, then I just started realizing why am I waiting when I can create them and, and, and put them on, you know, on the screen. And so I'm a big believer in don't wait for the opportunity, create opportunities for yourself, and, uh, and I will continue to do that. Um, I think just equally as much as I love acting, so I always balance my time where I do a project and I'm writing simultaneously with my writing partner and we're constantly creating uh, ideas and shows and whatnot and trying new things, trying different hats, you know, as a producer, as a writer, uh, as an EP uh, or as a DP, you know, I'm looking into like, like the idea of the, you know, director of photography, just uh, trying different hats because it really makes you appreciate how everything in this town uh, in the industry is a team and it it takes everyone Mm -hmm. in costume and hair makeup and everyone and you should be uh, a little bit aware of how everyone has their own struggle to make it work because it's easy to say how come this isn't done on time or how come this isn't you know but if you just take the time to see how every department is just as hard working and you know wear their shoes for a mile uh, it, I think it'll make you be more appreciative of the of the industry that you're in and and help out any way you can yeah I see that in even in your acting roles because there are different actors that you watch their performance, you watch their their characterization, and they're they're literally off the page. I mean, in other words, it's like if you saw the script and you saw the words that were written down for the part, you wouldn't feel like you were getting the experience. But it's like you bring so much more to the role that it seems like it's not even what the writer wrote. If that makes any sense. No, it's like totally. It's, it's, I've it's, I've always said. I made a career out of roles that weren't meant for me. You know, when I look back at my resume, if you look at the IMDb credits, I can probably point out 80% of the roles were never written for me. Some of them weren't written at all until after I auditioned. I remember auditioning for the internship for a role that I knew wasn't right for me, physically, uh, height, age, but I go in there with the idea of, like, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to do it how I think this character would be at this age, in this body, at this time. And that's what I present. Because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. You know, you're either going to be right for the role because you embody what that character is, or you're not. And that's okay. If uh, if you're not the right uh, person for that role, then move on to the next one and don't, you know, wall up and, and dwell in that. Uh, but I find it more times and less when I go in for a role that wasn't written for me, I end up booking it because I bring something to the character that were like, I never thought of it like that, or I didn't see that way. Like the internship was an example of like, I'm, I had the director laughing on the floor. I knew I didn't get the part for that role, but I knew that I booked the, the you know, uh, Sean Levy was the director and he went on to, you know, direct so many things and create Stranger Things, but the brothers and all of that. But the fact is that as long as you make a fan of someone in the room, they know your caliber of your work ethic and whatnot, they're not going to forget you. So two weeks later, they wrote a character in the movie just for me. And I flew out to Atlanta and shot the movie. The same thing happened with Guillermo. Guillermo was 20 years older than I am. He was not right. I wasn't right for the part. The casting director wouldn't have seen me otherwise, but I went to a wine and cheese night and I met a stranger there who's 
thought it was really funny and thought it was like really uh, perfect for this role of her fiance's new show called What We Do in the Shadows. And the next day I got a text from an unknown number and it was her. And she said, I hope you don't mind. I got your text or your number from the hostess last night at the party. And I think you should audition for my fiance's new show. But you have to hurry because they've cast everyone except for this role. And this cast will be completed by the end of this week. And so as luck would have it, I went in for a last-minute audition. I booked Guillermo, and they they had him written 20 years older. So I went in thinking, maybe he's not 20 years older. Maybe he's been there for only 10 years. He went out of high school, and now it's 10 years later, and still hasn't become a vampire. So I changed the way that they saw Guillermo and then booked it and got the part and then uh, have helped develop Guillermo with them alongside with giving him the last name. De La Cruz was not a last name they had given to him. He didn't have a last name. When I started performing as Guillermo, I asked him, I feel like I want to give him a last name so he's a person to me, you know? And they were like, well, what do you want to call him? And I said, how about out of the blue? I didn't know what the trajectory of season one would be. I didn't know that he was going to be, you know, uh, have Van Helsing blood in him. He was, you know, descendant of Van Helsing. I didn't know that. Go asking them, could I name him Bruce, which translates in Spanish, into of the cross <laughs> or Van Helsing. <laughs> that, that's so awesome. And and then you were nominated for um, Best Supporting Actor by for a Critics' uh, Choice Award. Um, what did that feel like? Well, that was kind of a, a big shocker. And also it was like another shocker within a shocker when I found out that I'm the first um, queer Latinx actor to be nominated for that um, category in history. So that was like another double whammy. It was already an honor to be nominated, but then to find out, I thought it was almost a lie. I said, that can't be right. I mean, we're this far in the game, and that can't be true. There must have been another Latinx queer actor nominated in that category at some point. And sure enough, yeah. there was, and there hasn't been. And I was kind of more surprised and maybe taken back by that more than anything. The, the nomination is fantastic, and it's always like, you know, Sally Field moment of, like, you like me, you really like me. But <laughs> at the end of the day, what really mattered was that we're changing history and we're making it uh, possible for someone, for a young queer Latinx actor who comes after me to have a window, a door, something open, a jar, just a bit, even if it's just a bit, to make it easier for them to cross that threshold. No, yeah, you absolutely are. And, and it's also... I think it speaks to your spirit too, where, um, you know, it's, you're, you're coming through, you're breaking the barrier because of your talent and who you are. And you, you know, you, you go above a, a label um, to get there, but you carry the, um, the history and the culture with you. I mean, and it's like, it, it wouldn't happen without you. Um, and it has to happen. So, I mean, it's, it, is, it is a huge accomplishment. It is, you are a hero in doing oh. that. Um, well, you know, that's very kind. No, it's, it was just, just an outside observation. Uh, uh, but one thing I, that I did notice is you, and I don't know if you're attracted to this or just by happenstance, you kind of have fallen into the Halloween world for lack of a better definition, um, where you're, you know, you're the, the um, uh, apprentice to, to vampires in uh, what we do in the shadows, and you're now appearing in a, a film that's, I think it's in the film festivals, um, about werewolves, correct? 
Right. I think it's yeah. I think it's funny that people. Well, people first of all love that category. It's a uh, horror comedy, which is rarely done and done right. Uh, but it is uh, a genre in itself, uh, with shadows, you know, obviously taking place with with witches and vampires, etc. Is uh, it does fall into that category? But at the end of the day, w- you know, when you think of what we do in the shadows, the idea of mockumentary isn't original. Like we've seen that before. It only happens to be the characters are different because they're vampires. And at the end of the day, I'm human. And I play a human in all of these worlds. I just happen to be surrounded by <laughs> supernatural creatures or like witches and warlocks. But I forget people are like, oh, you're part of this genre. And I was like, I'm still human. I've yet to play. <laughs> I'm always human. I've not, I've not played a vampire. I've not played a witch. I've not played a werewolf. Those things I have not played. I've only played a human. So all of the characters I play have always been the grounded human in an abstract, bizarre, uh, far-fetched, you know, whimsical or, um, you know, out-of-sight world, which is always fun to play because that uh, makes the, you know, makes you level up. It makes you, like, uh, just as being the human and you have to stay grounded and in in this obscure situation is always fun because you have to even hold on uh, tighter to your bearings and you have to completely be believable as a human in this world because then... Uh, then it goes out the window. If you just go along and be like, yeah, I'm not even going to play this character real or grounded. I'm just going to be kooky and goofy. It won't be believable. The reason that works and right. the dynamic works in shadows is because I'm the human and you side with him and you feel for him and you root for Guillermo because we've all, we're all Guillermos. You're a Guillermo. Your neighbors are Guillermo. We've all been in that situation because we see ourselves in him because he's going through human emotions. We can't really see ourselves in the vampires because that's, we can't relate. Can't relate because we're not blood-sucking uh, creatures, but we are human, and we do root for each other, and we have compassion, and we have dreams, and we have aspiration. We can relate to that, and so we do relate to the story, even though we don't understand why we relate to it. We're like, why am I relating to this? Is because you're connecting to the human uh, trajectory in the storyline. Yeah, no, totally. In fact, for our listeners who want to uh, follow in Harvey's footsteps, um, he has actually made a video on how to scream believably. And so you can see that on YouTube. So you know, <laughs> I, I love that because you walk through a lot of what you just described about, you know, you stay grounded, you look out the window. It's like, it's like <laughs> that was our campaign it was, it for, was, uh, for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it was very good tips. And we, we will probably share it with um, uh, our prospective guest next week, by the way, on this show, um, I think is going to be Jamie Lee Curtis. So we'll, we'll share it with her in case she needs tips from you on how to scream believably in a horror movie. <laughs> Will you tell Jamie I said hello? <laughs> I'll do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not necessarily talking to her about horror movies because we've got some other things for her, but, but definitely we'll bring that up, uh, up now. Um, no, too, too much. Um, so tell me a little bit about the plot of uh, what we do in the shadows. I mean, that, that I think that's super intriguing. Sure. What we do in the shadows is a, a comedy based on the feature directed and produced and starred by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, uh, who created the show as well with Paul Sims and basically follows a group of vampires and documentary crew that uh, – 
basically follows them in their day-to-day, just um, their day-to-day living, if you can call it living, for lack of a better word, uh, the, you know, um, the, the immortals. Uh, it's, it's really fun just because the idea is so uh, different than what we've seen before, and they live with a human familiar who is played by yours truly. Uh, I play Guillermo de la Cruz, and who has hopes and aspirations of becoming a vampire himself, and as you may or may not know, when you devote your life to a vampire as a familiar, your reward will be to eventually be made into a vampire. But as he starts asking questions and looking around, as other familiars start to age out past 70 and 80, and yet there's no sight of them becoming a vampire anywhere near in sight, um, that he starts to question if this is all a hoax to just get free labor and, uh, and make someone your sidekick slash, for lack of a better word, uh, personal slave to get what you want in this lifetime while their lifetime expires. Because, you know, as you know, vampires live forever. Um, so he's going through an emotional roller coaster of finding out what's important to him as the clock ticks. And then recently found out that he is the descendant of Van Helsing, the most famous vampire killer in history. So that <laughs> is a recipe for a little bit of tension in the household. <laughs> I love it. I love that part. <laughs> so, no, that is super cool. So I also understand that um, while you were filming that, um, that none other than Mark Hamill was one of the guest stars and you, you rubbed, rubbed shoulders with. I did. We were so excited to have him, especially because all the, the cast members love, you know, they're big fans of Mark Hamill. But the fact that he's a fan of our show, like his kids introduced him to the show season one and he, he was tweeting about it and we never thought we would get Mark Hamill to be in the show. But the fact that it got back to us that he's a fan of the show, in fact, and when they offered him to come and play, he, without blinking of an eye, said yes. And we were so just taken back and to have him on set and um, his daughter came with him and they were super lovely and it couldn't have been nicer and it was just a, a surreal experience. And, and how many fans are out there who love this show, you know? Mark Hamill is one of them, obviously. But I think for me, the personal biggest one as well, aside from Mark as well, was that Lin-Manuel Miranda loves the show. And I, oh, got cool. to, I was down the hallway at Comic-Con San Diego a couple of years ago, and I just hear someone go, Guillermo! And I was like, wait, that someone calling my character? Are they calling for Guillermo? Like, there's, there must be another Guillermo here. And I looked over at the hallway, the long corridor, and I see Lynn Manuel just arms open, running towards me, and I was just like, "What oh is my happening?" God. <laughs> and it was just this moment of like, "Wow, wow, I made it." I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, no kidding. Such a fan of so, Lynn Manuel, you know. <laughs> so I have to ask you, and and this is probably not what your conversation was or whatever, but as you were going into Disney and you were now uh, entering the world of animation, and Mark Hamill has done a lot of animation himself. Did he give you any tips or any insight into the discipline or, or anything like that? Yeah, I think at that point I hadn't done animation, actually. I didn't really start doing animation until probably March of last year, and that was shortly after we wrapped season two of what we do in the shadows, which was Mark Hamill's season. Um, so I did ask him, though, and because I was surprised to find out that he was so many voices that I've, you know, grew up listening to, and he was, and he's been so iconic, but you never know who's behind the voice, so when I started thinking about, wait, wait, that was you, you were in that, oh my gosh, you're the Joker, like, that was like, my, that's when I, like, my mind was blown, because I was like, that's, I would have never thought that was you, and how did he manipulate his voice to sound like that, and 
to sound like the classic Joker, but the different, you know, add his own twist to it. And it's very nice to like see someone who's so uh, gracious and, and, and such a nice human being to also be multi-talented. It's always such a pleasure <laughs> because then you're like, yes, all the best. I, I wish you all the best. And, and you're such an, you know, an inspiration to so many. So yes, all the blessings, all the blessings your way. <laughs> yeah. No, you no kidding. He's, he is awesome. I follow him on Twitter. I he just, I mean, every dimensional part of him is 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 fantastic. So when you do funny, um, the character, uh, will we will we recognize your voice, or or do you have a character voice for funny? You won't recognize my voice because some people who've seen some of you know the preview episodes that came out, um, they couldn't recognize my voice and. It's family. <laughs> They're like, that's you? And I was like, yeah. They're like, that's you. And I was like, yes, that's me. That's not you. And I was like, that is me. I'm being a character. And it's like, but that's you? And it's like, yes, it's me. And it's like, they don't believe me. And it's like, I, I have to do the voice. And the funny's voice is in a higher register. So, like, you know, uh, I, I, I pretty much live in my baritone tenor voice, you know, daily. And, and funny's in a falsetto, you know? So funny, funny's in a higher pitch voice because – the voice has to be has to grab your attention, but also has to be inviting, and it can't be it can't be in my regular baritone voice because that's not too welcoming to everyone. It's like uh, the higher the pitch voice, the more relaxed you are in front of that person. For some reason, you're more welcoming to whatever they have to present, you know. And so when I'm in the falsetto voice, and he has a signature giggle and a signature laugh that you drop your guard. You're like, this is a fun person. This is someone that you want to hang out with. And anything they tell you, you're, you're going to listen and just have a good time and know that their intentions are always meant uh, with, you know, pure heartness and, and, and goodness behind it, you know? And so that's where I came up with Funny's voice because it has to be welcoming, like a home. Whenever you go home, you think of somewhere you feel comfortable and you're not looking over your shoulder, you're not worried, you feel comfort. And there's this like a, a blanket of, of a uh, of pillow, like, you know, love and huggies and well, everything that makes you feel good over the holidays is what I compare it to, like a fireplace and a, a snuggy, like, you know, onesie or like the, that, the things that remind you of home is what this voice will remind you of, things that make you feel completely at ease. And that's where I landed with the voice of funny. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but it is funny. It's like, okay, Harvey is allegedly funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, allegedly. <laughs> we haven't seen him say, do the voice, so we don't know. For, no, <laughs> no. Uh, Harvey is actually <laughs> authentically funny. Okay, let's do the housekeeping. Where can people see you? Where, where are all these things available and for them yeah. to so absorb your work? So Mickey Mouse Fun House will be streaming this month and you can watch it on Disney Plus and Disney Junior and you could also uh, follow me on social media which is at Harvey Guillen on Twitter or Instagram so I always post everything that comes up show related and also for Shadows we come uh, back September 2nd which is less than a month away on FX next day on Hulu so uh, so many good stuff coming up so start off and then join us next month September 2nd for what we do in the Shadows Excellent. And and by the way, I also loved your version of uh, um, Britney Spears' Stronger on um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. That, oh, wasn't that fun? That, that was, was another that thing was to check so out. fun. <laughs> oh, my God. That was, that was, that was beyond fun. I, I loved it. Um, and did, did you have singing training before then? It seems like they throw you into things without you, <laughs> you being asked beforehand. <laughs> 
Well, no, I did go to school for, you know, since I did improv when I was little, I, I started doing musicals because I wanted to be an Annie, you know. Um, so I've been musically trained uh, since I was uh, pretty young and did high school musicals and did uh, musicals all through college and whatnot. And my first gig was actually doing a musical out of the country. I lived in Japan. So I was doing a musical out of the country straight out of school. So, I yeah, I'm very musical trained, but I haven't done it in a while. So it was such an honor when Austin, the creator of Zoe's, called me and wanted me to do the role. They actually asked twice, and I couldn't do it because of scheduling. So we turned it down twice. And it came as luck would have it on the third time. See, that's what I'm telling you. The universe always works in mysterious ways. They yeah. came back out of out on the whim. They came back on the third time and said, we're going to check again. I know he said no twice, but is there any pot? And as luck would have it, that day we shifted shooting schedules for uh, shadows and we moved things to a different date. And as luck would have it, I could. And I was on a plane the next day to Vancouver to quarantine for 14 days and start dancing and singing and start a production on Zoe's. Yeah, it, well, it was so much fun. Everything you do is fun. And, and now you are doing funny. And um, it, I, I'm sure that is, is going to be awesome as well. Um, so congratulations on that. Thank you for everything you do. And, um, and, and I'm actually excited to see what comes next for you because I, I know there's going to be really, really great, amazing things. Um, this is only the beginning. Um, and and well, thank you for all the ceilings you are breaking. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks again for having me. And, uh, yeah, everyone take a look at uh, Funhouse. You're going to have a good time. And be funny. <laughs> <laughs> we we can take that a lot of places. We can, we can keep going with that. Um, yeah, no, definitely check it out. De- check out Disney Plus. Disney Plus is actually coming up with a lot of really wonderful uh, programming. Um, we've had uh, some other stars on uh, previously of, of things from the High School Musical. Um, you know, so really, you know, it's a it's a really important platform. So subscribe to that. Um, even if you are grown up, I think Mickey Mouse Funhouse would probably be fun to check out anyway. Um, and uh, Harvey, I want to thank you again for being with us today. Um, you're great. We can't wait to see what's next. We can't wait to dig into Mickey Mouse Funhouse and um, check out everything else um, that you've got going as well. Um, I want to thank our listeners for listening in. Please do tell your friends. Tell them to subscribe to the podcast. We love to talk to you every single week. And I want to thank Brody Levesque, who you can check out Brody's work also. He is the editor of the L.A. Blade magazine out of, guess where, Los Angeles. And, um, you know, he does incredible journalism there, very unique, um, important stories and told only the way that he can. And we will be back here again next week. I already gave a hint to what I think the show will be. Will it be that? I don't know. But I will tell you one thing. It is going to be a great show then as well. So for our team here at Rated LGBT Radio, um, we bid you goodbye for this week, and we will talk to you again very soon. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 